We know that the COVID-19 crisis and lockdown is presenting significant challenges to everyone working with domestic abuse survivors. We also know that some groups are being more impacted by the crisis than others. In this podcast, Suzanne Jacob, Safe Lives Chief Exec, speaks to Ngozi Fulani from Sister Space, a London-based service supporting women from the African and Caribbean communities who've experienced abuse. Suzanne and Ngozi talk about some of the challenges faced by black women in society at large as well as during the crisis. Please note, in this podcast, Ngozi discusses her experiences of racism, including the use of some racial slurs. Hi, this is Suzanne from Safe Lives, where I'm the Chief Executive. Hi, I'm Ngozi Fulani. I am the CEO of Sister Space. Ngozi, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast this morning. Uh, I'm really excited for our conversation. Thank you for inviting me. I wanted to, um, to start by talking a little bit about how we met, because I think it's important for people to know that. Um, so you and I uh, first met when we were both giving evidence to the scrutiny panel that meets around the Mayor of London's response to domestic abuse. That's right. And, uh, wow, I don't know when that was. It feels like a million years ago, but I'm yeah, sure it wasn't that, that long. I feel like I've known you for ages. Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, thank you, Suzanne, for doing this. Thank you for listening and thank you for seeing us we were indeed at an event um i don't remember when it was i think it was last year um yeah late last year and we were speaking about so many different things and i i listened as kind of member after member stood up and said who they were and what organization they came from and um, I was in the room feeling quite fed up because here I am again, probably the only African heritage person in the room, and I'm listening to what seemed like people congratulating themselves on the good work that they were doing. And no doubt they are doing good work, but my thing was, you know, nobody's listening to African heritage people, and... So I, I, if I do remember correctly, I stood up and I said who I was and I said I wasn't impressed with the fact that, A, I wasn't invited to that meeting. I don't know how I got in there. I just found myself there. So here we um. are with a, a panel that doesn't represent us as African heritage people and um, an audience, for a want of a better word, who also doesn't represent us. So um, I made that clear. And um, I remember very clearly you coming up and saying, you know, I hope you don't mind if I um, introduce myself. You said who you were, Suzanne, as of Safe Lives. And you said, you know, what you said was, was quite important. Can we have a chance to meet and talk? And that was the beginning of a, a very great, um, I'd like to say, friendship as well as <laughs> yeah I'd like to say that too I, really, I mean I you know it's um, go ahead. It, it's very you know it's very kind of you to describe it that way because I think you know one of the things that you needed to raise that day 
was that there were some gaps in what Save Lives was doing, some very important gaps, mm-hmm. and also that you had tried to raise those with us a number of times yeah. before. Yeah. So basically, I can I can talk a little about that. Um, yeah. I think I first trained with Safe Lives, which was then called CADA, around 2014. And what struck me was the absolute lack of anything to do with African and Caribbean heritage people. They, we weren't mentioned in the uh, training manual. We weren't visible at presentations, training presentations. We were just totally absent. And I had brought that up so many times. I've got so many emails going back and forth. And yes, Safe Lives did acknowledge the emails and they did acknowledge that um, there was an absence visually also. But two, three years on, nothing was happening, nothing. Mm. And um, I think at one time, Safe Lives invited me down to do some training um, in Bristol, but the st- attendees were like, well, they weren't management level. And I thought it very important that the training has to start at the management level because if management don't get it, nobody else can. And the significant changes couldn't be met. So after two, three years, I did get very, very frustrated and very, very disillusioned mm. with mm. safe lives. And I made the comment I did. I said, well, you should call yourself save some lives and um as I said Suzanne you becoming a CEO was probably the best thing that happened to save lives and I'm I'm saying that genuinely because if you know anything about me I don't play since you since we've met you in in I would say less than six months like my time since this COVID-19 I have no concept of time. no we didn't know <laughs> we don't know what month it yeah. is but it, you know it wasn't that long ago And you have consistently reached out to us and that means so much. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we have, we have changed things, but I think we've done that together. Um, One of the things that really struck me was, you know, so after we met that day and I went away feeling really ashamed from that session and thinking really hard about what could we do as an organization with the platform that we've got and and the resources that we've got, how can we change this? Because we've clearly not done our best. We've not done the right thing. We're letting some women down and that's not acceptable. Um, But when I came to see you and the team for the mango morning, Mm -hmm. what I felt was this really strong sense of nourishment and uh, we, you know, you and I and the team, we talked about, food and we talked about um skincare and we talked about um language and music and it it really struck me that Mm -hmm. as an organization what sister space is doing for the women that you support of course is about that immediate critical safety planning you know threat to life threat to to someone's personal safety Mm -hmm. but it's also about nourishment as well and nourishment in recognition of the full set of needs that somebody has around their heritage as well as around their situation and I, if I might add for someone who um, works within the work sector um, I find that for African and Caribbean heritage women and I distinguish that because um, we're going to later talk about the BAME thing 
and it's a thing, all right? But for African heritage women and girls who are professionals in the work sector, it's also very damaging as well because to exist in an environment where you're clearly not seen or heard, you're not listened to them, and to our mind, when it comes to black women, um, a lot of the mainstream organisations have massively good intentions, but they don't have a clue about our needs and how we feel and how, and how certain historical events still affect us to this day. And um, mm-hmm. to be a professional in that environment can also be, as I said, quite stressful we're not in usually in leadership roles so we don't have much room to maneuver to make decisions to say how we feel to say what's needed and what would be really important about this um discussion is that I'm going to be able to enlighten you about some of the things that we face you really wouldn't believe some of the the things that we come across on a day-to-day basis, it's just unreal. Mm. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about um, about the work of Sister Space. And uh, let's, let we, let's start with some of those really pressing issues that, that you're facing right now. So COVID, we know, has brought all sorts of new challenges mm. for charities. And I wonder if you could just say a bit about the particular issues that that the women you support are currently facing which is different and and you know exaggerated beyond what normally goes on for them okay well it's important for um, people to know that before we deal with uh, the challenges that are facing us we have to deal with some of the challenges that are behind us and still occurring which means Uh with the COVID-19 pandemic for example, you have the Windrush generation and you have those who have been affected by the mass deportations, by discrimination, racism and all kinds of things. They are very, very unlikely to access mainstream organisations for several reasons. Firstly, as I said, we're neither seen or heard. Secondly, our historical experiences have influenced how we feel today, the confidence we have in a system that really doesn't um, seem to care either way. Now, you'll know that it is said that um, African heritage and other so-called BAME, I don't like that term, but, you know, we'll use it for the purpose of this discussion, um, BAME... People are more affected and, and dying from this COVID-19. That's a concern. And with it comes a lot of conspiracies. I mean, our history shows us that we really shouldn't put our trust in certain organisations, certain governments and that, because when we have before, we've been let down and we've been very badly affected. Therefore, why would we, at our most vulnerable moment, trust the same government, if you will, Mm. that has really largely put us in this position in the first place? 
So for an organisation like Sister Space, when we support um, our service users, it's very difficult to make the argument that they should go to this organisation or that organisation mm. when our mm. own experiences have shown us extreme racism, extreme discrimination and contempt is not even hidden. How would I, in good conscience, ask a service user to go where I myself have no faith? That's a dilemma for us. So during the COVID-19 pandemic that's on us now, we, we're, we're trapped effectively because um, another thing we do is we follow the news, we follow Sky TV, BBC, every, everything and everybody. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is people that don't look nothing like us. There's no diversity, or there's limited diversity, I should say. Um, mm. And the higher up the scale you go, the more people who are in a position to do something or make changes, the less you're likely to see us. Um, oftentimes, we have other members of the BAME community speaking on our behalf. That's really challenges, and that's something that um, I'll go into a little bit more as we progress. So there are just huge barriers there that you describe, you know, for somebody to be able to, as you say, to trust services, to be taken seriously by those services, to get what they need from them. And the role then of your organisation in trying to support people face is facing those same barriers I guess well let me give you um, a couple of examples if I may I think February has to February just gone February 2020 has got to be one of the most difficult periods that I, I remember we we just happened to have an uh just a I don't know so many cases came up and I remember there was um, a woman she has six children six children and we went into a local borough I won't say which one and here is somebody from the BAME community I won't say from where I'll just say he wasn't African heritage and as we walked into housing he looked at us he slumped himself and folded his arms and there was two of us there was me and there was the um survivor and he said which one of you is the victim and his whole demeanor and his whole the way he was talking to us I thought okay this is this is not looking good he says do you have ID she says no well I can't help you so I had to say excuse me first of all don't talk to us like that Secondly, yes, you can. If somebody's um, fleeing DV and they come to housing and housing sends them effectively back into danger because they haven't got ID, I don't think so. Can I see your manager? As soon as I ask for the manager, he, he changes and he becomes more professional and he wants to be helpful and everything. And when I stepped away to talk to the manager, he actually said to the survivor, can you please talk to your manager and persuade her not to uh, put in a complaint? Now, this is typical of a, an experience that this, this is what we, as frontline, before they know who we are, 
a sister space, mm-hmm. before they realise that we've actually come as idvers, the, the way that they treat us and talk to us, you wouldn't believe. And the second example was actually at, um, and I will say which police station it was, it was Bethnal Green Police Station. And Bethnal Green is one of those police stations that have specialist DV team. And I know the DV team. And they are very, very competent. They're very, very, mm. they're, they're quite, I'm impressed with them. But before mm-hmm. you get to the DV team, you have to get to the, you have to go to the front line, the, the reception desk. And here's another man from the so-called BAME community. And he reacts almost exactly like the guy from housing. And he says, which one of you, is the victim. And he says, you, he points to the survivor, you, in that room, you, sit. This is what he said to myself and another colleague. This is how he's mm-hmm. talking to us. The The waiting area is full of people and he's addressing us like that. So I said, excuse me, is there somebody else I can talk to? No, you talk to me or you talk to nobody. Okay, so this is... I, at that point, I took out my phone and I started to record it because if I don't and I try to explain this to people, they, it, it's unbelievable. So anyway, um, another client, another colleague of his comes up who's also on the front desk and she's like, he's trying to help you. Automatically, we now know that we can't go any further with these two people. So mm-hmm. we're saying, listen, there's a DV team. Can you just call somebody down? No, you deal with me or you deal with nobody. So we actually left Bethnal Green Police Station without record, without reporting. And then um, the service user told us that she'd been there a couple of times and they told her she should go to Ilford or another police station nearer to her. So some of the problems that we're facing is that other so-called professionals don't recognise us to be professionals. Mm. They don't recognise mm. us before we even open our mouth. They judge us on how we present, and I believe mm. the colour of our skin. Of our skin. Mm. So one of the biggest mistakes that are being made in the work sector is to think that everybody from the BAME um, community, if you will, will speak for us, can speak for us, or that there are not problems within that um, community itself. So these kinds of things are what putting black women in further danger. Why would we put ourselves through that? Why, if we know the kind of response that we've had, we have and we're going to get, why do you think that somebody would just say, I'm in trouble, let me go to housing, let me go to the police, let me go, why? Or you'll look on the website and you will not see yourself reflected. You'll see the occasional black woman. You have to, more time, you have to scroll down the screen for some significant time. Then you may see someone who, you know, because uh, I actually think certain images are presented. And I've never yet seen anybody with locks. I've never seen women over a certain age. I've never seen black women over a certain size. So it's this, you know, this. It's hard. It's hard to convince survivors, especially from our communities, the grassroots community, definitely the Rastafarian community, they're not going nowhere Mm. near. And then, because we're not resourced, we're not funded, Mm. although we are in partnership with um, 
victim support um, right now, um, be- because our, our resources are very limited, there's so much that we have to do that we just can't financially manage. It's very difficult. Mm. Mm. And I think one of the other things I was so struck by when I came to see you and to talk about your work was how how creative you are because you have to be because of those incredibly limited resources that, that you're provided with at the moment. And, you know, for people who are listening to this podcast, they think, uh, you know, they should reflect on the fact that as a charity, Sister Space only currently receives £15,000 of income a year, which is a tiny fraction of the amount of money that you need to actually really properly do the work and means that a lot of your team are having to work on a volunteer basis rather than, as you say, being recognised fully as professionals and being compensated as professionals for the work that you're doing. And I was so struck by the creativity mm-hmm. that, that you bring and the team brings to the work because knowing the women that you're trying to support and the community within your, which you're working so well, you've found methods to keep supporting people despite all of these barriers and I wonder if you could just say a bit about that kind of support that you that you give yeah thank you Suzanne um we've been a little bit more fortunate in that we now have one position paid for so it um the victim support led um MOPAC initiative that we're working with has allowed us to have one paid member but you'll see that there's about 10 of us so nobody gets paid everybody gets expenses <laughs> we, we can't just pay one person it, we are now paying London so we are supporting African and Caribbean heritage women and girls throughout all of London and one member of staff cannot do that Therefore, mm-hmm. we've all agreed, and that there's about five of us who are main, you know, who work around the clock really, and we're all volunteers essentially, because you know, nobody can sit down there and take a full wage knowing that everybody else hasn't got anything. So what we do, um, we we decided we're going to have something called a mango morning, and and as you mentioned earlier, that's where you attended. And mango morning is essentially coffee morning with a, you know, African With a twist. Yeah. <laughs> so, and in that space, we are able to be our fullness. We are able to be with people who look like us, sound like us, know about the history of being here. And that's one of the most essential things that I think needs to come out of this is just like I would say, for example, the Jewish community, they have a very um, long and harrowing past in terms of what they've suffered um, in the Holocaust. We also have that. We are the African Holocaust. We went through and still continue to go through um, slavery and racism and being in this country. I mean, 
I was born in the 60s, early 60s, and I remember the no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. I remember that clearly. I remember my father being attacked by skinheads. I remember, you know, people are not going to like to hear this, but this is this is our this is our truth. I remember that beating up black boys was a, was a national sport for police. It would appear back in the 60s and 70s, police brutality on black people was different. Now these are the things that people don't want to hear about. There's so much that people don't want to know about or they say is in the past or leave it alone or maybe it didn't happen we mm. can't do that mm. now other people and other cultures aren't expected to do that they don't leave their past behind their their past is is not celebrated but come you know that that there's always um events to mark atrocities but when it comes to us we're supposed we're walking around with a chip on our shoulders when we mention it but it affects us to this day. And one of the, I think, one of the most strangest things you will hear me say today is that when you're in a situation and as an idva and you're talking to survivors who can tell you that whenever white women cry, they feel afraid that they're going to get into trouble. I mean, it will blow your mind. But when you think about it, going back to school, if you're in a classroom and, you know, most of us were brought up in areas where black people were not the dominant people, and you could be in, in, a, in a little school scuffle, if your friend cries and she's white, the teacher is 99.9% .9 likely to be white in those times because when I was going to school, there were very, 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 very few black teachers. There was no such thing as a black head master, as far as I know, or a black head mistress. Those were rare if they happened. So if we are in a, in a quarrel with another child and that child is white and they cry, we're going to get into trouble regardless. There's not going to be no um, what happened. So these little things that people don't think about scar us today. They got they actually I, I could tell you so many examples of why black women, especially I would say over the age of forty, who were raised in the sixties and seventies and in a very different time. And your parents, who maybe came over from Africa or the Caribbean, would tell you, try and be make yourself small, if you will, because mm. You don't want to draw no attention to yourself. You don't want to get beaten up. You don't want to get attacked. You don't want to get verbally or otherwise abused. You don't want to get into trouble at school. So your parents would try and make you just aware. Can you imagine? I'm a, I'm a grandmother now. And I can't imagine having to tell my grandchildren, listen, when you go to school, try not to mm. upset they never used the word white people. They never used it. But you knew what they were talking about because uh, you can't win. No matter what the situation is, you can't win. If you're attacked, you can't win. If you're racially abused, you can't win. If you complain about it, nothing's happened. So fast forward 40, 50, 60 years. What would make people think that the same people who suffered then would think things are different now? 
our experiences tell us different. And another thing is, and this is where, you know, I'm, I'm here to talk, to talk and I'm going to talk our truth. So we're in a time now where anybody who's not, it would seem middle class white, is called black. For people my age, up to now, I can't get my head around it, yeah? When I was going to school in the 70s, if you called somebody from South Asia black, it's fighting talk. I'm telling you. Somewhere along the line in the last decade or so, the rules changed and everybody who wasn't middle class white or this is what it seems to me, right? South Asian specifically can be identified as black. Now, there are organisations who are doing excellent work. Excellent work, I will not name them. But they call themselves black organisations. Or they identify as black organisations. And so... Um, African and Caribbean heritage women are referred to these organisations. And then when you go, you find that often they're South Asian organisations, as I said, doing fantastic work. But you don't speak for African heritage people. You don't. You, I mean, it's, it's a dilemma because they speak for us i often see like on sky or bbc or displays they're in management roles professional positions and they're speaking on my behalf when i say my, my me i mean generally and you don't know the first thing about me you don't know about my history and there's a dishonesty in the fact that we don't really um collaborate I'm being sensitive here. We don't collaborate very well outside of that work sector. I find that mm. I have mm. met so many wonderful South Asian women who are doing powerful work in the set. Outside, I'm going to tell you, if I go into shops that are owned by other so-called BAME people, it's a different story. Nobody sent them the memo that we're all black and we're all, you know, in this thing together. They didn't get the memo. So when I go in there, they're treating me the same as they did in the 60s and 70s. I will be followed around the shop, as would be most of us. We would be talked to in a derogatory manner. Um, for me, I find that um, sexual remarks are made to black women and younger women. These things are very controversial, but why should I be quiet about them? We've been quiet for too long because we don't want to offend anybody. Therefore, we take the offence and we take the damage so that nobody else gets hurt. Well, it's time to speak, all right? Mm. The only way that mm. we're going to move forward is to be honest. So I'm talking honestly about our experience as African heritage women and girls there is a massive problem within this so-called BAME um community sister space do not subscribe to that title 
B-A-M-E. It's like putting us all in one pot and putting white people in another pot. It's discrimination. (laughs) How can it not be? How can you lump everybody from so many different vibrant backgrounds in one Mm. category? So the few things that we have in common cancels out the many things that we do not have in common. And that's discrimination. And it's also damaging to African and Caribbean heritage women and girls. And it has to stop. If we're talking about funding, you know, you you look at these application forms and are you from the BAME community or whatever the application says? Listen, can you stop? And this, is, this goes out to funders everywhere. Can you stop lumping us all in the same group? We're all unique and we all have our, our beautiful things that makes us different. It's convenient to funders and councils and government to call us BAME, but it's detrimental mainly to African and Caribbean heritage women and girls and it needs to stop and we need to stop buying into it. Sister Space, do not subscribe to that. So I I cannot imagine a more powerful advocate on behalf of those unheard women and girls than you. But one of the things that I know um, when I joined a group that, that you were taking part in at the end of last week mm-hmm. that somebody reflected on in that group uh, was that you're holding a lot personally. Yeah. There's a lot of responsibility there that you're holding, which, you know, particularly in the current situation, which is so exhausting for so many reasons, that's a lot mm-hmm. to hold on to. And I wonder if you just want to say something about the role of everybody else, whether that's people from inside the community, whether it's from um, the rest of us in the Borg sector, whether it's from the big statutory agencies, I mean, there's so much there that you talked about that people need to change. But are there some things that people could start doing immediately today to lift a little bit of that weight from your shoulders? Thank you again for recognising. I am overwhelmed and I am tired. But I can't stop. It's taken me five years plus to even get to this stage. I I mean, um, if you see the venue that we're fighting for versus the venue that they gave us after a a, a bigger fight, I'm fighting, I'm spending more time fighting than I I can um, give to the people who really need me on the front line. I'm fighting the government because they, they're not listening. I'm fighting because they gave us a venue in Clapton, which was a shop front, and it had no exit. And it was right on the, it's on the Clapton roundabout. We can say mm-hmm. where it is now, because we're not going back there, yeah? Although they want us to. And it would be that I'd get a call at two or three in the morning, and I'd have to go and pick up... Um, a survivor because they didn't want to go to the police because they didn't want to get deported or whatever mm. the reason mm. is. even though they're British citizens 
they now have this fear because of the um, Windrush situation. So what happens is you pick them up and you go to the, to the um, Sister Space base and it's an old building and the shutters take like three minutes to open and it's slow and it's loud. And the electricity didn't work, so for the year and a half we couldn't be in there. And we were asking the council to help us. So after um, two years of fighting, they they came and they visited. And we said, um, it's a health hazard, the electricity doesn't work. So what a member of staff suggested is that we go in the building and lock ourselves in. I couldn't believe it. I said, we've just um, told you that the electricity is faulty, that we don't have an yeah. exit, and your suggestion is that we lock ourselves in. <laughs> yeah? Um, and I had to remind him, did he not learn anything from the Grenfell? This is what you do. So they temporarily rehoused us while they knocked out an exit and they made changes. But the place is very tiny and it's not fit for purpose and we're not going back there. So I'm fighting for premises i'm fighting for finances i'm fighting for policy changes we've actually got a, um we've got a petition up which i'll put on the twitter twitter is sister underscore space and sister is spelled s-i-s-t-a-h and we've got the um petition up and we'd like people to sign it but yeah um i'm very 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 tired um the reason sister space was started in the first place is to deal with these um, inequalities. But it was a, a woman called Valerie Ford, as you would know, Suzanne, who was mm -hmm. murdered in 2014, and the ex-partner also murdered his 23-month-old daughter. Now, Valerie mm -hmm. had gone to the police um, after he threatened to burn down the house with her and her children in it, and the police put it down to a as a threat to property and Valerie and her baby daughter died in the most gruesome manner and um I, that was kind of what made me say you know what I, I've got to do something because I just can't sit down here and keep hearing about black women coming for help and being ignored I believe yeah. that there's been a few murders during this COVID-19 and I know that one of them is uh, has prompted an investigation because um, it's an internal police investigation. So it would appear, I don't know, it would appear that the police were alerted that this woman was perhaps in danger. And I don't know, as I said, I can't really comment too tough on that, but I know our experiences will go to the police. Nothing will happen. We'll go to the housing. They'll even tell us something like, we know you're just trying to get a bigger flat. We'll, we'll hear all of these things and there's no... You know, nothing's done. They get away with making these statements. They get away with behaving like that with us. And so a lot of my time and energy is fighting where it really should be somewhere else. Um, uh, what can I ask people to uh, do? Change the narrative and change the language. There's this way of expressing anything bad. We're in a dark place and stuff like that. Just think before you speak. Um, I know that a lot of the wonderful idvers that are trained by Safe Lives, they come out and they do wonderful, wonderful work. But one of my experiences in training um, some idvers was that 
a lot of them come from Europe and other places and racism is rife there and I remember being asked a question quite innocently actually what's the difference between a nigger and a black so I obviously I did a double take because we're in a classroom full of other trainees and mm -hmm. I'm leaving the session so I actually thought I misheard but it was a it was a she's come from somewhere in the middle I can't remember where she's from, but she's not British. And she said, yeah, what's the difference between a nigger and a black? Because I heard one black calling, no, I, I heard one nigger call another nigger a nigger or something like that. So these are the languages that they're using. Safe lives, you have a duty. When you're mm. training Ivers, mm. you have an absolute duty to make sure that they don't come and damage us further, insult us. Mm. And this is, you know, um, I walked away from one of your training um, classes. Um, I was doing five days training. And on the first day, I actually forgot. And this might not make sense to some people, but I forgot that I have to be on my guard all the time. So I was in a class with all of these new trainees. And I'd already done the training, but nobody knew. I was kind of de there to observe. And I thought, they've all come to London because they've come from all over England. And I thought, book yourself into Stratford so that you can spend the night with the community and just find out and just, you know, kind of enjoy the training. So when we finished the first day, we all went to Stratford and we were walking through the park. There was a statue of, of a black man, bronze, and he was holding a mobile phone, but he had a square in his pocket. And one of the idvers said, oh, look, He's got two mobile phones. He must be a drug dealer. And I, I, can't, I can't even tell you. I can't begin to tell you. I was quite cross with myself because I let my guard down. I let my guard down. I, I just thought, let me go in as just as another trainee. But I always have to be aware. So the racism and the discrimination and all this type of things is inherent. And if people are being trained by Save Lives, they need to know what is a no-no and what is acceptable. Half, not half, I would say a good percentage of the people who come from outside of London, there are many who don't really engage with African heritage people because they live in communities where there are very few and the few that are there, they don't engage with. Therefore, the first time sometimes when they come across someone of African heritage, is when they're working as an idva. And so they are uncomfortable because, you know, we, we, we present differently sometimes, whether it be our hair, whether it be our, our the way we speak, our, our mm -hmm. you know, so many things. But we present differently, but we don't present as aliens. And some of the responses that you get from people who are not familiar with African heritage people is a concern. Because now, here we are, coming to report abuse, but we have to make that person feel comfortable. So we have mm -hmm. to bend and fold and whatever, so that person doesn't feel intimidated by us as African heritage people. What is this? What is this? So there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I think if I had to say... 
what the mess the main messages that I wanted to come out from this meeting it would be please stop referring to us as BAME stop lumping us in a category with people who do not have hair I don't know another another people whose hair is similar to ours my natural hair does not blow in the wind unless there's a gale force I've got looks <laughs> yeah, understand so I can't wash and go you know this so people who don't present like us have no clue what it is to be in our situation and they should stop trying to speak for us because we are very capable of speaking for ourselves that's one um try and see us and once you see us please try and hear us now i went on um question time some time ago and that that statement a very genuine statement that i said at the spur of the moment has become a thing in the african and caribbean community because it's our story we we we're born most of us are born here or lived here all our lives or are very immersed in 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 British culture and to live in a place where no matter what you do you're never going to be accepted you, you you just can't you know you'll pop out to get a, a bottle of water from the shop and you'll be reminded in in minutes that mm. you know this is a constant for us and so my plea to the work sector can you please see us? Can you please hear us? And can you please stop talking on our behalf? We're very, very capable of speaking for ourselves. And Gosi, there's, I mean, I could just talk to you for hours. Because yeah, <laughs> there likewise. is so much that we could keep delving into. And I really hope that we have the chance to do this again. Mm. Um because there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. There's a lot going on in the UK at the moment. As mm. you said, your service is expanding across the whole of London. I know you've gone 24 seven. These yeah. are, are so much changing right now. Um, but thank you so much for taking part in this conversation. Thank you for the warmth and welcome that you showed to me when I came to the Mango Morning. Suzanne, you are one of the, the I'll I tell you, we love you at Sister. We are honorary sister. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're welcome. You're welcome at our Mango Mornings anytime because it, you, well, you certainly made me know that there are people, and I know there would be, but there are people who really care enough to actively do something about it. And I know that you see us and you hear us, and I thank you for that. Well, we've got a lot more to do, and I don't underestimate that, but thank you. Um, we'll finish here but we're going to put under the podcast uh, all of the uh, contact details for Sister Space ways that people can donate to the service as well and I hope that it really prompts people to think differently and to act differently. We do We do offer training though because I think that's, that's probably the only way to get through this. I, I would urge that um, service providers call us in for one day training we do we deliver training that will really equip you to help 
everybody, not just certain sections. So, uh, yeah, if, if you would add that too, that would be wonderful. Absolutely. Do be safe, Suzanne. Keep safe and lovely to talk to you. And thank you for the wonderful gifts and the gift of warmth and the gift of caring. Thank you. Come to this place. Thank you. Thank you.